A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we receive corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said, and hopefully you've kind of heard it uh, throughout already, Jesus Christ is King. King of hopefully our hearts. He is king of the world. He's king of the universe and hopefully also king of our heart. Now, uh, we have an interesting kind of uh, experience with kings. We hear a little bit about it in the first reading today, uh, actually with the Israelite nation. The first king of Israel was Saul. And God didn't want to establish a king over the kingdom of Israel because he said, hey, I'm your king. I'm the one who is leading you. But the Israelite people said, no, no, no. We need a king like everybody else. Everybody else has got a king. We need a king too. Otherwise, we're not unified enough to be able to fight them off. So we need a king as well. And so he says, you know, God kind of, uh, we see this all, uh, multiple times in the Old Testament where he kind of uh, compromises with them. And so we, he establishes Saul who goes off in a bad direction. Then King David, who is this amazing king, in fact, the best king of all Israel, who is a a man after God's own heart. And yet we see at the end of his life, him, sin, uh, just as bad, in fact, having a man killed to cover up his adultery. So we see it not go the best. We see that continually. And so I think that when we experience kings, we uh, maybe have an earthly king, an earthly king type example in mind. But Jesus, even though that he is earthly and he's human and he understands our experience, is not earthly in his mistakes. He is Lord in the fullest sense of the term, which means that when he asks us to do something, it's not a, yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> Kind of, well, what, what about this, you know, or what about that? He is Lord. And he's a Lord that not only knows the truth and knows and, and is perfect, but is one that desires our good, as we hear about in the second reading, who desires this forgiveness and reconciliation and ultimately desires us to be with him in paradise. So he's not just a king who knows what's best, but also a king who desires our best. 
And so it's in that that we start to approach this relationship, to start to learn who he is. And it's in that that hopefully we desire as Christians not to form Christ or God in our image of with our thoughts, with our understandings, but we seek to be formed and conformed to Christ himself, to actually be formed by the way that he lived, by his teaching, by his law, by his life. And so how do we do that? Well, we have to know him, first of all. We have to know sacred scripture. Then we have to actually start to change our life because Unfortunately, we're all born into sin and we're all part of this world, which is often not always in union with Christ. Okay? And so we learn a lot from the world. In fact, we often learn more from the world than we learn from Jesus Christ. And so we need to, to a certain extent, learn. we naturally learn about the world. We need to actually actively seek to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and to learn from him. So we do that by reading scripture. We do that by continuing to learn about who he is, what kind of person he was. And again, point us to the gospel today. Again, how all of scripture teaches us about who God is and who we are. And so in the gospel today, Jesus Christ is king of the universe, right? This glory, and that's what the Israelites wanted. They wanted a king, a Messiah who would come, who would ride in in a, in a horse and, and kill all the enemies, all the bad people, and be able to rise them up as a nation. And where is Jesus' throne? His throne is on the cross. It's not what we were expecting, Right? Again, in our worldly understanding, our way of what we think is that our king of the universe should be on a, on a throne, dominating. But instead, we see Jesus Christ as king of the cross, of suffering, of humiliation, but ultimately of love. Right? That's his throne. That's his throne for us. And so, as we see that, as we know that, we desire to do his will. We desire to trust him, trust him in who he is, and to be able to give thanks to him and be conformed to him. One of the commandments, although he, 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 only, he teaches us a lot about the world in, in a lot of it, but he only, does, only has very few uh, instances of direct commandments. One of those is, don't worry. Uh, which I always really love. We're, we're a world of anxiety. And that's actually one of the things that Jesus explicitly tells us now. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about the things of this world. So that's one of his commandments. One of the things that he explicitly tells us and commands us to do. But the second that I'd like to unpack a little bit more today is that right at the end of his life, right? In the last week is actually where we hear the most about, the last week of his life is, is where we hear the most about him. And at the last night uh, that he is alive, he knows this and he takes the apostles and he says, he, he shows them what to do. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And now it's pretty simple. He, he breaks some bread he drinks some wine. He, he you know, talks about it a little bit. Um, but he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, again, we don't always understand every, all the commandments that are told to us. 
We don't understand Christ because we, we don't understand God all the time. We understand the world more. We don't understand God. And so he commands us to do this in remembrance of him. And thankfully, the apostles live that out. In fact, in the early church, we see that right away, that the, the apostles in the early church right away practice this, on a da- if not a daily basis, certainly on a weekly basis, of doing this in remembrance of him, where they would take bread and they would break it. They would remember the words that he said. And they would speak about scripture. And they would talk about him. And they would, they would share that together. Now, what that ultimately becomes in the modern day is what we're doing right now. In the early church that was called, it ended up becoming called the Eucharist or the whole uh, service, the whole time of breaking bread was called the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving in Greek. And so the whole point of coming together and doing this in remembrance of him to celebrate this mass, to celebrate this Eucharist, to break this bread, to drink this wine was about Thanksgiving to our King who came to bring about forgiveness and love. And so we do this in remembrance of him because, again, the Lord knows more than we do. And we, are, we seek to be conformed into him. And so this mass seeks to conform us into him, to learn from him. And one of the things uh, that's us is, is God is not as exciting as this world. He's not as entertaining as this world. And so if we come to Mass expected to be entertained like we are in the world, well, then again, we miss the mark of who God is. God speaks in, the, in a small, quiet, silent voice. His throne is on the cross. It's not in the loud and noisy and flashy. And so, yes, Mass is meant to be a little bit even boring in the worldly sense. It's meant to quiet us. It's meant to be something that, again, draws us to, to, into ourselves, into the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, into ultimately God. This place is a place of thanksgiving where we encounter Christ, where we're, we're formed into him, where we follow his commandments to do this in remembrance of him, and we're conformed into his will, into who God is. Now, every single Mass, we have, an opportunity, we have a time to be able to be more conformed to his will. And especially seasons, we have that as well. And so we're coming up on the season of Advent, which is a time of, again, a, a brand new year where we get to start the year new. And I encourage all of us to, again, think about Advent not as a time of just Christmas, but a time of preparation for the Lord. Because even though that, that happened 2,000 years ago, it happens again every single time. Uh, every single Mass is kind of a, a mini Advent, where we're waiting for the Lord and then the Lord comes and we're able to receive him. Uh, But the Advent season is, again, that time of preparation, that time of desiring him that we might conform our life to him. During that, we're going to uh, try to foster that as a whole. I'm going to encourage us to take some steps to be able to uh, be more intentional during the Advent season, which is filled with lots of stuff and lots of anxiety, lots of worldly things. Uh, where the world kind of breaks into the Advent and the Christmas season and kind of at times sometimes takes, uh, takes away the peace or the anticipation uh, that God wants to give. And so we want to, again, uh, we still live in the world, so we still have to encounter that. But hopefully we can, just as we take time to decorate our house, just as we take times 
to buy presents for others. Hopefully we can take time, intentional time, more time during this Advent to also pray, to read scripture, to know him as well. During this Mass uh, as well, one of the things that uh, we did last Lent, and I'm going to do this Advent as well as Lent, is to celebrate Mass ad orientum. Now, the uh, intention, what you'll notice is a little bit different, is that the, mass, the, the altar will be pushed back a little bit, and that the priest will face the same direction as you. Now, it kind of feels like, uh, to a degree, that I'm turning my back on you. That's not the intention. The intention is that we're all faced towards Christ, because... I'm not Jesus. I'm not your king, right? I'm not here to stand up here and put on a play for you. I'm here to help you, to draw you into a deeper relationship with Christ. And I think sometimes it's important for us to to change it up, to be able to recognize and remind ourselves once again what we're doing here is that we're not here to watch the priest say his prayers. Uh, The priest isn't here primarily. This is the time where I'm talking to you, but the rest of it, I'm talking to God on behalf of you and inviting you to pray along with. And so uh, the intention will be there and a reminder will be there every single time that we come to once again to to turn our life greater, to, to focus on Christ in a greater way, to be able to engage ourselves, to remind ourselves that again, Father isn't up there to put on a show or to entertain or but to help all of us turn in a greater way towards Christ, to be able to turn to that and be reminded that the Mass is all a prayer, that we're praying, we're uniting ourselves, our prayer to the priest, to the church, to Jesus Christ, ultimately all offered to the Father. Um, The Father desires good things for us. He's always desired us to have a king, And he gives us that in Jesus Christ. And we pray that we might uh, always live as Jesus Christ, uh, being our king of the universe and our king of our heart as well. Um, And so uh, we take this continued mass to to prepare ourselves in Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving, um, in the Eucharist, as well as uh, for the Advent season, this time of anticipation and hope of new beginnings.